As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Today, I am so excited because I interview people from all over the world. Recently, I had somebody on the podcast from London, but today I am so excited because I get to interview someone in Houston. That doesn't happen that often. So my guest is Kurt Tuford. How are you, Kurt? I am great, Wesleyan. How are you this morning? I'm doing lovely. Let me tell you guys a little bit more about Kurt. He is the VP of Sales Development at DXP, a Houston-based business that is a $1 billion industrial distributor. He is also an adjunct professor at the University of Houston teaching sales and marketing. As the winner of a Stevie Awards for Sales Development, Kurt brings both high energy and deep content to his audiences and students. He is the author of Five Stones for Slaying Giants, a book designed by a sales professional for people in business, customer service, leadership, and sales. I mean, like, how do you even have time to breathe? You're doing so many amazing things, Kurt. How did you start your career and how did you get to be a professor, a VP of sales development and write books? Wow. What a great leading question, Wesleyan. I think I was one of those kids that uh, knew growing up that if I wanted anything, I had to work for it. So I had a very deep and rich work ethic. Uh, Moved into sales after I graduated from college. I was a computer programmer and I found myself designing code for the automotive dealerships. And then I started training the users on that code. And then one thing led to another and I kind of moved into what I thought was something a little bit more in my wheelhouse, which was getting in front of people and being energetic and having that sales idea. I did a lot of that sales, and then from there, I met somebody. His name was uh, John Neighbor. He was an Olympic gold medal swimmer, and I thought, man, I want to be just like you. And he said, well, Kurt, I have seven Olympic gold medals. What do you have? And I said, I I got nothing. He said, well, go and get yourself a speech communication degree and figure out something that you're passionate about. So I got a degree in speech communication, very passionate about the whole idea of selling, sold a lot of technology as it relates to the automotive game and then the computer game and then software. I found myself uh, doing a lot of part-time professional speaking. And then somewhere um, about 20 years ago, I just completely jumped off the deep end and I started my own business as a professional sales trainer, professional speaker. And in that small window, it's a publish or perish kind of opportunity. So I began writing the Five Stones for Slaying Giants And then through a couple of networking events, 
I had the opportunity to meet a couple of people at the University of Houston. Then I said, hey, I'm a sales guy and you guys teach sales classes. I would love to be in front of your students. So I came in as an industry expert, which led to the opportunity to start teaching there. And I'm still teaching today. I teach a sales and marketing class at the University of Houston. I guest teach at the Texas A&M College for Industrial Distribution. And yes, I have a lot of things going on. In fact, I've looked at my book, Five Stones for Slaying Giants, and it needs a fresh coat of paint. A lot of my analogies are a little bit old for a younger audience. So I am looking at doing a refresh on that one because I've learned so much more about sales and about what works and what doesn't work. And I don't want to be an academic guy. I want to be the guy in the field with arrows coming out of my chest going, hey guys, this doesn't work. Don't do this at home. This does work. Go try this. I love that. So a lot of times when I introduce myself, I introduce myself as a recovering chemist. And I think that you're a recovering computer programmer. And I really enjoy learning about your journey because so many people, you know, if they're trying to dip their toe into sales, they're like, I don't know how to sell anything. I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do that. But it's like, whatever you did in your past life, like if you were an accountant, you might want to sell accounting software to accountants, right? You're a computer programmer. So I'm going to start working in this world that I really understand and also the fact that you listened to what people told you. Somebody said, hey, well, what do you have to show for yourself? And you're like, I don't have anything. They said, go get something. And you did it. And that is how you got to where you are today. And then not just sitting back and allowing things to happen to you, you were networking. You were saying, I want to do this and I'm going to go after it. Where did you get that really tenacious spirit that allowed you to say, I see something I want, I'm going to go after it? Great question. That's, that really makes me want to reflect on, you know, kind of growing up, my parents didn't really give me anything. They made me work for it. I come from a very deep and rich German experience. So it's all about working. So in order for me to get what I wanted, I need to go out there and work for it, whether it was an allowance or a part-time job or self-funding my college or all of that. Then I started discovering this concept called networking. And it's not so much who you know, it's who knows you. So I started to attend these networking events and start to learn from people. And through a lot of ACA, a lot of athletics growing up, I realized the value of a coach. And so I just kind of submitted to the authority, if you will, of people who are smarter than me. And uh, that helped me accelerate my career. So coaching, training, you know, these are things that so many times in, in our world of sales, people just throw around. And it's like, I'm a coach, I'm a trainer, I'm a this, I'm a that. And you said about 20 years ago, <laughs> so not quite the 1900s. Uh, you guys who listen to my podcast know that my my children, um, when I talk about my childhood, they're like, you mean back in the 1900s? I'm like, um, sorry, <laughs> am I from the Stone Ages? So not quite then, but in the very early 2000s when the world was so different. You set out to really focus on sales training. So tell us about how you got started in the world of sales training. Well, what I realized was this gentleman, John Neighbor, who told me that I didn't have anything and he had seven Olympic gold medals. I started hanging out networking at a association called National Speakers Association. And I felt that I was good at this idea of selling or talking about sales. 
And then when I started to hone that craft as a professional speaker, I had a partner, his name is Jim Jacobus from Sugarland, Texas. And Jim said, hey, the reason we go after sales opportunities and being a sales professional and a sales trainer is because that's where the money is. Why do people rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And so I'm not a recovering chemist and I'm not a recovering technical person or a scientist. However, I've heard them in TED Talks. I've heard them in places where they're passionate about what they're doing. And if you're passionate about that and you want to make money at that, you can do that. You would just need a coach or a trainer in the speaking world and perfect that craft. And um, that's what I did. I got myself a coach and I started to um, listen and I started to process the information. That led me to the academic side to teach it. And now at DXP as the VP of Sales Development, I guess I come to work every day in a laboratory and I get to invent things and I get to try new things in marketing and go on sales calls and listen to customers and scratch my head to figure out what's not working. And it's a fascinating business. Awesome. So you started out as a computer programmer, you transitioned, you became a speaker, a trainer, a coach, and then you went back into the world of corporate America. So tell me that transition for you when you went from really being out there trying to explore and teaching companies how to do this, teaching companies what to do to stepping back into that world. Were you the VP of sales when you started? Did you start as the individual contributor? How was that for you? Ooh, well, not every story is a rainbow and a perfect, a happy ending. So I was mm. in the throes of a professional speaker starting a business, whether you were starting any type of business, you have your ups and downs, you have your hills, you've got your valleys, you've got your peaks. Well, my family was having a hard time with not having a consistent income and paying for a lot of different things that you would do in a startup. And tragically, I went off there and I pursued that dream without really taking into consideration what would it take to raise a family. My kids were very young at the time. So I realized I might be a little premature and what I need to do is I need to provide for my family a consistent income. So off I went looking for work and um, DXP took a shot at me because of my time at the university, because of my previous experience. And from there, I was managing 18 sales guys in the Houston area. And for those of us who aren't from Houston, you know, you'll understand this, that they're pretty egotistical. And uh, they don't manage very much. And boy, was that a tough road for me. And uh, I got through it. And then as we started to expand to where we are today, a North American company, I went through the process of moving to a developmental role. And now I can touch all the 200 plus salespeople I love that. And you know, so many times people are like, oh, you know, I want to be my own boss. Oh, I don't want to work for a company. And I know firsthand as an entrepreneur that it's not always easy, right? Like, oh, everybody's taking off for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And those are paid holidays. It's like, what is a paid holiday when you're, you are the CEO, right? It's like, hey. And so I really commend you for realizing it. Yes, this is my dream. However, 
at this point in my life, I need to do something else. And I think so many people, instead of catching themselves when they see that they need to make a shift change, they just keep going down the path. And it doesn't seem that, you know, working for DXP stopped your career path of speaking and being a professor and doing those things. So you were really able to manage both. You are so spot on. This is a dream job. They understood, you know, we're not gonna contain Kurt. He's gonna continue. And they said, you know what, we're going to get the benefit of Kurt going out there and perfecting his craft. And we don't have a problem with him speaking for other companies, even for a fee, as long as he's not speaking to the competitors and he's not using up all of his structured vacation time and so on and so forth. So that's been such a blessing for me to go out there and to do all these experiments. And there's been some great opportunities to bring back things that I've learned and share that with these with my team here and allow them to get better at what they do. That is key. I call that your thought leadership. So a lot of times people think about thought leadership and you have to be like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world or the Google CEO or whoever, but no, your thought leadership is really, hey, I have a voice, I have a unique perspective, and yes, I can exist as this person and still do what I need to do for my company. And I really commend your company for allowing you to continue to hone that. Because at the end of the day, what is it doing? It's like, we have Kurt that works for us. He's great doing all these things. Hmm, we might actually wanna go do something with Kirk's company. We wanna see what are they doing behind the scenes at DXP. So you mentioned um, something that I don't wanna step over. You took over a team. And you said uh, you had 18 salespeople. I don't want to call it the Wild West, but I do know how sometimes wrangling salespeople in our part of the world was. As a sales manager to a team, I don't know if you inherited it, if it was brand new, what are some of the lessons learned that you would share with the audience? Wow, lessons learned. You know, there's a couple of things. And again, I learned this from my partner, Jim Jacobus, when we were on the speaking circuit together. When you think about, people and asking them to do something. Either they don't know how to do it, they can't do it, or they won't do it. So there's this teaching opportunity for all of us on this call. If you're asking somebody to do something, I don't know how to do that, that can be trained. I cannot do that, that can be trained. We remove the obstacles. I don't want to do it, that's a behavioral issue. And I found that in my sales career, whether you're doing call reports or ride-alongs or curbside coaching, any of these things that you're doing, whether it's a seasoned pro who's been in his territory or her territory for 20 plus years, or you're bringing somebody new in, there's going to be a can't do, won't do, don't know how. There's going to be one of those three things. And so my major takeaway is how do I build enough trust and rapport with the individual, manage them as an individual, and then figure out, is this a can't do, won't do, or don't know how? And if they don't know how, we can train them. If they can't do it, we'll remove the obstacles. And if they won't do it, we have issues. And welcome to the pandemic. For all of us on this call who are struggling in a sales modality, I can't make a sales call because they're all working from home. I don't know how to make a sales call because they're working remotely. We can work on that. I won't make a call. That's a behavioral thing. You can't just sit there and wait for this thing to end. We thought it was going to end in April of last year. Well, we're now turning the corner into 2022. We still have these issues. So the big takeaway is working with people. People do things for their own reasons. 
and they're motivated by their own things. And our job as managers is to come alongside and, you know, we want to manage things and lead people. Sometimes we flip that around and we tend to want to tragically, you know, manage these people rather than lead them. Mm, that's so good. I always say that when I'm talking to people, I'm like, well, Celine, what is, what is your ideal client? What is this? What is that? Yeah, we all have our niche or the people that we like to work with. But I say for me, it's really one thing, the propensity to change. And really what you were saying, it's so true. It's like, if they don't know how to do it, okay, I can help you. If they say, I need help, they're asking for help. But the ones who are like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change. I'm stuck in my ways. As a sales manager, so many times you are knocking on that door and you're trying to change them and trying to turn them and you're doing everything that you possibly can, but nothing is happening. And I think that what you said is key. It's like, ask them. Like, what is the problem? Why? Help me understand the why behind it and then develop their individualized coaching program so that they can operate in their best selves. Agreed. And we see this in spades from the Michael Jordan documentary that came out on ESPN and then on Netflix. How is Phil Jackson going to manage a Michael Jordan different than a Scottie Pippen, different than a Dennis Rodman? I mean, you can't manage them all the same. And you've got to find your leaders. And so Michael was the leader who helped manage the others. And I found people within my sales team, seasoned sales pros that the other people respected. And those are the ones I tried to pour my life into so that they could help me manage. Now, in every sales group, if you have 10 people, if you look at the standard 20-60-20 of 10 people, two will be performers, six of them will be wondering where they want to go, and two of them will just not make it. And you've got to determine, do I manage them all the same or do I somehow manage the ones that are making it and have the potential and the ones who won't do it because it's a behavioral thing, you either cut them loose or just let them flounder. That's an ugly way to manage, but there's just not enough time in the day to, to give everybody a warm blanket and some hot cocoa in the wintertime. <laughs> I love that. I have this, is, I call it the budget effort graph. And I ask um, sales leaders every quarter to plot your people, right? And the ones that are down in this bottom left quarter quadrant, they're low on their quota and they're not putting effort in. My question is, why are they still here? Agreed. Right? If they're not hitting their numbers and they're not even trying to hit their numbers, they're not making phone calls, they're not updating the CR, they're not doing anything. Like, why are you here? Right? And I think that at the end of the day, as a leader, you have to realize that this is, doesn't all fall on you because you can do everything and you can ensure that you're giving that person exactly what they need. But if they don't have the desire within themselves, then nothing's going to happen. Well said. And so before we got on our call, you told me that you're going through this huge implementation of this brand new CRM system. You don't have to say what it is, but one thing that I do know is when we get to a point within our companies and we're like, hey, we need to kind of step up our game, whether we're using Excel spreadsheets or we're using that starter CRM. I'm curious, what are some of the reasons that you found that you needed to make that big upgrade? Wow, great question. You know, I think there is a, a cliche, what got you here won't get you there. And here we are, a billion dollar publicly traded company. We started in 1908 and we grow through organic growth as well as through acquisitions. But what got us here to a billion dollars with 2,500 employees 
won't get us to the next level. And the reason it won't get us to the next level is because technology, as well as information, information is moving at the speed of, of light. And we just, we need the tool set that helps us because the world is so fast. It's so tech savvy. In fact, STEM, you're talking about science, you're talking about technology, engineering, you're talking about this amazing, I need it, I need it yesterday, I need it convenient. So this implementation of a CRM package, one reason we're doing it is to allow us to be spending more intelligent time in front of our customers. And another is to help our sales managers manage in the 21st century in a way that will allow us to feed this massive hunger that our customers and our prospects are having for information, expert information. We show ourselves as a technical expert distributor, not so much as a commodity. We're not an Amazon. We're not those kind of folk, although we compete with that. And so the reason we got CRM is to help us move and expand. To get to 2 billion, to get to 3 billion, it requires new tools. And so that's the investment. And it's the biggest investment we've made in the last 20 years. Wow. And what I know is that when you, whether you're a million dollar company or a billion dollar company, anytime you're implementing a new, I like to call it sales technology package, right? Whether it's a CRM or it's a prospecting tool or it's any of the above, because there's so much out there now, you really have to think about, okay, this is where we started and this is where we want to go. This is what's going to help us get there. But also thinking about when you roll out something like this, I'm curious as to the plan that you have because you really focus on the sales development, the implementation, because we can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on new sales tech stacks, but if we don't get the sales team to use it, then it's just sitting there. So what are the plans that you have to really get everyone to implement it? Great question. We struggle with the way to do this. This isn't something that you just put under your pillow, you wake up the next morning and you become Salesforce literate or CRM savvy. It's a cadence. And the cadence will be a periodic heartbeat of pushing the information out with baby steps and then checking to make sure that people understand it. And then later on in the rollout implementation, accelerating that cadence just a little bit and going back and highlighting best practices, highlighting some tech calls, maybe we call them Tuesday tech calls where people can call in and go, I am so frustrated because I don't know how to enter a contact. Or what's the difference between a lead and an opportunity? You know what? We're gonna show you, we're gonna help you walk through this. And then eventually in some point in time in the rollout, we'll start measuring metrics and quantifiers to make sure we're getting adoption, we're getting entry, we're reducing garbage in, garbage out, and we're trying to just roll that out quietly and slowly because we're a company that makes money when we sell things. So if we just decide to stop selling things so we can get enamored by this CRM package, we've lost all forward momentum. So again, we've got to continue selling and continue motivating and then integrating this in as part of the process. I love it. I love it. One of the companies that I worked with a couple years ago, they were probably around the, the similar size as you and the district VP, he said, you know, we've invested so much money in the CRM and nobody wants to use it. So I really need you to get these sales managers using it, Wesleyan. And so I literally sat down with the sales managers and they were like, it's a waste of time. It's not helping me. It's just something that corporate wants us to use because 
they want to see what we're doing. And within 90 days, they're like, oh, okay, I see why. And I always say, hey, your CRM is really meant to help you make money right? It is made so that you can really know everything you need to know about that client. And if you get all the information, if you have 5, 10, 15, 20 accounts, there's no way you can keep all that in your head. You can't keep it on Excel spreadsheet. So it helps you make money. And once people understand this is helping me make money and achieve my goals and become a better salesperson, then they start using it. But I really like your rollout plan where it's little bits and pieces, right? It's I'm not throwing it all down your throat. I'm not saying everything that you do, as soon as you step out of customer, you get your app out and hammer it in. We have to sell, which is our number one goal because we are a sales generating organization, which if you're not a nonprofit, you are. And then this helps you, this tool helps you. So one thing that I always like to ask as we kind of wrap this session up is, you gave me a lot of accomplishments and achievements within your career. But if you could think about one of the most notable things that you are most passionate about having accomplished within your career, what would that be? Wow. I think I go back to um, when I started in my speaking career, there was an opportunity for us. Well, there was a call, if you will, from the number one accounting firm. And they wanted to roll out some business development training for their partners. And of course, if you're talking about a large public accounting firm, they don't want to be salespeople. And so this was all covered as business development. Well, they wanted this to be done through third-party independent trainers. So there was a call and I was uh, a part of the short list. My partner, Jim Jacobus, had the deal already. He put a good word in for me and we all flew to Dallas, Texas, and we had a... Um, a train-off, if you will. And we would go into separate rooms and then the people would show up and they would say, okay, we want you to speak for 20 minutes on this particular part of our business development course. And I was coached a little bit, not a lot because he didn't want to be biased. And then toward the end, long story short, I got that gig. And as a new speaker with young kids, this gave me the opportunity for two years worth of contracted income. And that gave me enough to pay my bills, to pay my insurance and to, and to breathe. And from there I went on and I would say that was the biggest accomplishment because as I sat at that table with all these other professional trainers with better pictures and better marketing sites and so much more experience, I didn't think I could compete at all. And sure enough, I won it and I won it for two years and I was one of their most favorite instructors because if I go back to the kind of person I am, I took every opportunity. I said, look, if you've got somebody who doesn't want this date or that date, or if you've got somebody who's sick and they can't go, I want to be your first call. And I picked up a bunch of opportunities there and it made everybody happy. And, and that was my, my big success. Wow. That just gave me so much, um, so much pause, right? Because you were able to convince people who were not salesy at all. Like even hearing the word sales probably makes them cringe, right? And you were able to convince them to not only take a chance on you, but to really say, yes, we want you not for a month or for two months, but for two years. And then you were really, I would say you were scrappy. You were like, oh, you can't show up that day? That's fine. Okay, I can meet you the next day. Oh, you, Saturday morning? Fine. Wherever you need me, I'm there. 
And so often we forget as salespeople that we are there to serve, right? right? Like we serve first and then we sell. And that's really what you did. You're like, I'm here to serve you and to help you become better. And in doing that, it helped you. It built your economy. You said, hey, I was comfortable. I had my salary. My kids were okay. All my bills were paid. And I think that that is something that it's just an amazing accomplishment. Well, thank you. That, you know, I get back in the moment, you know, just thinking about it. It was just a, it was a wonderful experience knowing that I got picked. And as I flew home, as I took off from the airport and flew back to Houston, I was just like, wow, this is a great confirmation that I'm in the right place at the right time. And I actually have the skills in order to compete. That's Awesome. That is awesome. I thank you so much for sharing your time, your talent, your expertise with us today. It's been such a rich conversation. What is the one best way for people to get in contact with you? I'm on social media, LinkedIn and Facebook. That's about it. I'm still thinking about re-energizing the websites and things of that nature. But there's only one twofert, T-U-E-F-F-E-R-T. And it's not that difficult to find me. I definitely have a face for radio. So uh, once you see it, you'll go, yep, that's the guy. Awesome, awesome. Make sure that you connect with Kurt. Pick his brain. He is a wealth of information and his diverse experiences will definitely help you achieve your success. So thank you again for your time today, Kurt. You're welcome, Wesleyan. And that was another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Remember, in everything that you do, transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.